If you have a Bible with you, let me invite you to open Acts chapter 16 is where we're going to be this morning. And we're going to be picking up our story from where we uh, left off last week. If you were here with us, you'll know uh, we looked at Paul and Barnabas. These two men had gone down to this gigantic sort of church council meeting that was happening in Jerusalem. Everyone from all over was gathering together because they had to discuss something. When we talk about the gospel... Do we actually all mean the same thing? Are we actually all talking about the same thing? When we say that Jesus saves, what do we actually mean? Are we on the same page? And so they spend a while discussing that and looking, well, yes, is it Jesus and Jesus alone that saves? And the answer, of course, is yes. That is exactly what the gospel teaches. It is simply those who trust in Jesus will be saved. But the question then was, well, Do they also have to do some extra stuff on top of that? If we're saved by faith, do we have to then also do all these extra steps? Do we have to become Jewish? Do we have to eat right, be circumcised? All these crazy things. What else has to go on? And the answer was no, it's Jesus and Jesus alone. It's not adding on to anything. And so Paul and Barnabas, they return back home to to Antioch where they're from and, and they get to report and rejoice with the whole church. But then it kind of ended a little bit sad. We saw Paul and Barnabas kind of split up, go their separate ways. Barnabas was going to go off on his missionary journey, and Paul begins his own. And that's really where we're picking up the story. Paul takes along a man by the name of Silas with him, and the two of them begin to go to different churches and preach. So that's where we're going to pick up the story. Uh, Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 1. So I'll invite you to follow along with me as well. Would you please stand with me uh, for the reading of God's word? This is God's word for us. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, but he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went along their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phygria and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So as far as we're going to read, you may be seated. Well, this is the beginning of the, the second sort of missionary journey that Paul goes on. And this is the one that, that really takes up much of the rest of the book of Acts. We're going to be walking through this missionary journey for some time as we work through this book. And in this passage, we're introduced to two men who join along with Paul in his mission. Two men who become absolute staples in his life, who are going to uh, work with him really up until he is put to death. The first one you you probably noticed right away was Timothy. Timothy is uh, 
sort of a protege of Paul. He's a young man when he starts traveling along with him. And in fact, if you know the New Testament, you know we have two books. Two books of our Bible are written from Paul to Timothy, as he calls him, his true son in the faith. Timothy is with him throughout his entire life. But the second person, you might not have noticed who showed up in this passage, and that is actually Luke. Luke himself actually joins in the story here. Up until now, if you've noticed, the, Luke, by the way, is the one who's writing the book of Acts. As he writes up until this point, he's writing about what Paul did, and he, and he says, they went there, they did this, they did that. Up until verse 10, suddenly we see a switch. Verse 10 says, and when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we, we sought to go on, concluding God had called us to preach. Right? Luke actually enters into the story. We're not told exactly where he jumps into this, but Luke is going to follow along Paul for really the rest of his life. Up until the very end, Luke is side by side ministering together with Paul. But really, this passage is not just about sort of the, the friendship that, that they have. It's really about their conviction to preach the gospel and to work together. Their conviction to to the gospel is what is going to bind them together, to sacrifice for the gospel and actually to follow along with the Holy Spirit. Ultimately, this is what I want us to be able to see is their conviction, their commitment to following after God. But, But actually, as we start, I want us to start in just a little bit of a different spot. I want us to actually look at two women in this passage. Again, two women we probably haven't noticed very much, and yet their faith and their commitment to pass on the gospel is going to have a massive impact on the church. So I actually want to start out by looking at them. Look back with me at verse 1. It says, Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra, Now, just kind of catching us back up in in where we're talking about. If you remember all the way back in chapter 13 and 14, Paul goes on this missionary journey and he kind of starts off in Israel here in Antioch and he goes over the sea to, to Cyprus and then up into Turkey and he ends up, the last two cities that he's at is Lystra and Derbe. That's where Paul is nearly put to death. They try and stone him within an inch of his life. But he gets up, he recovers, and he continues back. Well, this time, he's starting off in Antioch, and he's going the other way. Instead of going south, he's going north. And so he hits Lystra and Derby right off the bat. And we're told that there is a young disciple there named Timothy. Continuing verse 1, a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. This is the kind of sentence that that might not really... uh, cause us to notice it really at all. We're we're pretty used to the idea of a mixed marriage, but put yourself back in that time. For a Jewish person, they didn't talk to a Gentile, a non-Jewish person. They didn't associate with them. They wouldn't go over to their house. They wouldn't eat with them. So the idea that this woman is actually married to a Gentile, I mean, there's there's all kinds of questions that that comes up into that kind of a uh, statement. How exactly did that happen? Was this some kind of like youthful rebellion where this woman is like, no, I'm going to go off and marry this Gentile? Was she a slave and get sold off into this? Was this an arranged marriage where her parents thought, well, this is kind of advantageous for whatever reason? We're, We're really not told. We don't know how it comes, but what we do get told is a snapshot of her faith. 
See, we actually know this woman's name. Her name is Eunice. We, in fact, even know her, her, her mother's name, which is Lois. We're introduced to both of these women in the book of First Timothy, and, and what we are told of is her faith. See, Eunice was in a, she was in a difficult spot. I think that's the, the easy way of putting that. See, she would have been an outcast from the Jewish community because she not only associated, she married a Gentile man, and, and we know from later on, she hadn't even circumcised her, her son, and so she is not following along with, with what should be Jewish custom, and yet she's probably also outside of the Greek culture because she is still trying to follow after God. We know she's a bit of an outcast, and in fact, she probably finds herself alone in her own marriage as well. We're told one very small detail, but it's significant. She is a believer. Interestingly, we're not told the same thing about her husband. Her husband seems to have no belief at all. At least we're not given any information that he did. And so very likely that she is, uh, she is in this situation that is incredibly difficult. She's on her own outside of both her born community and the one she married into and yet finds herself alone even in her marriage. And yet it's in all of this that her faith shines out so beautifully and so brightly. Paul, when he writes to Timothy later on in his life, in the book of Second Timothy, this is what he says. He says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, Timothy a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you. See, the faith of these two women, Lois and Eunice, shine out as stunning examples for Timothy to actually be following along. Even at this point, Timothy has gone on missionary journeys with Paul. He has spent time serving now as a pastor, as an elder in a church, and yet when Paul writes to him, he says, I want you to remember your mother's faith. Eunice is the one who taught Timothy the Bible. He learned about God from his mother. He learned about salvation through Jesus because of his mom. Later on in the letter, Paul will write, he'll say, but as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul says, even from childhood, you learned the stories of the Bible. All right, I doubt Eunice had you know, a kid's storybook Bible to read to her son, but she knew the Bible well enough to be able to communicate and tell her son about what God had been doing, to explain salvation ultimately in Jesus Christ. In fact, Timothy's grandmother had been teaching him as well. Their conviction to pass on Jesus was clearly shown in Timothy. Now hear me. This is not the main point of this passage. I'm not sure I've ever really said that in a sermon before, but this is not the main point of the passage. So why am I even talking about this? Well, well here's why. Mothers, your faith is vital. Now, let me be very clear. Fathers, dads, you are called to be the spiritual leaders of the home. You are called to teach your children about the Bible. You are charged by God to teach them about Jesus. 
But mothers never think for a moment that your faith is unnecessary or it has no impact. Your prayers for your children are not in vain. Never think you can't teach your kids the Bible, that you don't have a role to play in their faith. Some of you are going to find yourselves actually being the spiritual leader in the home. You might find yourself in a very similar, very difficult spot. Hear me, God has not abandoned you in that. God hears your prayers. Your faith is not in vain. Every Bible story you tell has an impact. Every encouragement for your kids in their faith, every prayer for them is heard. Timothy grows up to be an evangelist and a pastor because he modeled what he saw his mother doing. Moms, your faith is vital. Pass on the gospel to your children. The conviction of Eunice and Lois is shown so beautifully in Timothy. Even as a very young man, he starts out in ministry. You see his firm commitment and conviction to the gospel. Even as he is willing to make incredible sacrifices for evangelism. Moms, pass on the gospel to your children. See, when we're introduced to Timothy, we're told in verse 2... He was spoken of well, or he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Right now, now Lystra and Derby were these two cities that were quite close to one another. I, Iconium was actually a ways away. And so actually his reputation at this point had grown. People knew of his life, his faith. Perhaps he had gone and spoken in different churches. We're not told. But we're told he has a good reputation all around these different cities. The older, the, the older you get, the more you realize how valuable that really is. But there was a problem that was developing at the same time. Paul meets him and he wants to take him with, and yet there was this issue because he was not actually circumcised. And at this point in the journey, you know, we, we should be saying, all right, fair enough, he's not circumcised. We, we've just spent nearly five chapters dealing with this issue that ultimately it doesn't matter, right? From chapters 10 where Peter first gets this vision, Gentiles are accepted, all the way to chapter 15 when the church meets and declares the same thing, Gentiles are accepted. Doesn't matter about circumcision. We hear this guy, okay, he's not circumcised. We're thinking to ourselves, all right, no problem, moving on. Verse 3, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. What? I mean, Paul has just fought tooth and nail to make sure everyone understands and agrees that it doesn't matter whether or not you're circumcised, and then the next thing he does is have this guy circumcised? What on earth is going on? Why? Like, is Paul just kind of flip-flopping all over the place? Is he kind of getting soft? I'm tired of fighting this battle, and I'm just going to, all right, just, just do it. Appease them. I don't think that's the case, but, but it gets difficult to really understand this. In fact, if you go back to Galatians chapter 2, Paul talks a little bit about his first trip up to Jerusalem, and we, we read about this guy named Titus. Paul also writes a book of the Bible to Titus. Galatians chapter 2, he says, But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. 
Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we, might, uh, that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. So with this guy Titus, Paul says, I am not going to yield for a second. He is not going to be circumcised. And Timothy, before they even get going, he's like, yeah, you need to be circumcised. And you're thinking, what on earth is going on? Why is he doing this? Well, well I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say two things. Number one, Paul is actually being consistent. Throughout both of these, Paul is actually being consistent. And number two, the gospel is not changing. The second point is probably the more important one. The gospel does not change. Paul is not going to start preaching some kind of different gospel. No, we are saved by faith in Jesus alone. All of us have sinned. We have all fallen short of God's perfect standard. All of us deserving judgment. And that judgment was taken on Jesus. Jesus stood in our place. He died and he rose again so that anyone who would trust in him would be saved. That message, that message of the gospel does not change no matter what. So then why do we get these radically different approaches Well, it's because of his context. It's because of the audience that he is around. See, when Paul goes to, with Titus up to Jerusalem, the issue that they were facing was there were people inside the church who were saying, in order to be accepted, you need to hold to the law of Moses. And so for Paul, this was an issue of making sure the true gospel is heard. It only depends on faith, not faith and something else. Not sort of, you know, it's Jesus plus circumcision. And Paul says, absolutely not. I will not bend. The truth of the gospel must be heard. So why does he circumcise Timothy? Because the truth of the gospel must be heard. What's different here is his audience. See, Paul now isn't talking about people inside the church who are wanting to change and subvert the gospel. He's talking about going out into new cities to different places where they haven't heard. And he says, I want to make sure that they can actually hear the gospel. Because if they find out that there is this half Jewish boy who's not circumcised, they're shutting the door before you even get to walk in. They're not going to listen to you at all. I am concerned that the true gospel is heard, so I'm going to do whatever I can to take away any barrier to anyone so that the gospel can be heard. And I think what's most amazing in this passage is actually Timothy's willingness to do that. Timothy is willing to sacrifice, to make an incredible personal sacrifice. He has no reason to do that except for the opportunity to share the gospel more widely. He's willing to take on that cost on himself in order to share that good news of Jesus. In the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul writes, he says, To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, 
that I might win those outside the law. See, Paul and Timothy are willing to do whatever it takes in order that as many people as possible could hear the true gospel. So Paul is willing to go and eat kosher, not because he has to, but because he knows if he does that, he has an open door to be able to share the good news of Jesus when he's around Jewish people. And when he's not, he'll eat the meat that comes out of the temple. Why? Because it's no issue for him, and it opens a door to be able to share the gospel more widely. He's doing whatever he can to make sure there are no barriers between him, between the people that he's trying to reach, and the gospel. Right? It's why when missionaries go into different countries, they actually spend time learning the language, learning the culture, learning what things to say, what things to do, and what not to do. Learning the food, everything they possibly can. Why? So that their ability, so to the best of their ability, they take away any distraction from someone hearing the good news of Jesus. Right? If you get a white guy who shows up in a suit and tie in a poor South American village speaking in English and trying to tell them about Jesus, he could have a great message. He could have his doctrine perfect. Not one person is hearing, understanding, because he's put up a thousand barriers in between of the gospel and the people he's trying to reach. A little while ago, I worked with an organization helping people get off the street, getting into rehab and all the rest. I remember my first day there, I had just come from school. It was in the middle of summer, and so I was wearing a polo shirt and shorts. And I showed up at this sort of halfway rehab house. And as soon as I got there, I realized I had made a huge mistake. I was better dressed than every single person. I showed up there looking like a prep school kid who's, you know, just driven up in his dad's Mercedes. Like, it looked ridiculous. And so the next week when I, when I went, I chose much more carefully what I was going to wear. But actually, I had to do a lot of work to repair that terrible first, relation, that terrible first uh, impression that I had made. Right? One guy very bluntly said, oh, I thought you were from Malibu. I'm like, oh, no, that, that's really far off. The reason is we don't want a barrier between someone hearing the gospel because of something silly like what we wear, what we're willing to eat or not eat. Paul again writes to the Corinthians, he says, give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of the many that they may be saved. Why does Paul do what he does? So that as many people as possible are going to hear the gospel and be saved. He's going to do whatever he can possibly do to take down barriers between him and anyone else. If someone is going to be offended by us, may it always and only be because they are offended at the message of Jesus. And hear me, that actually takes some sacrifice on our part. That means we actually lay down some of the things that we are rightfully able and capable of doing, and we put them aside so that other people might hear. Right? Timothy was circumcised so that no one would be offended. Are we willing to go that far? Right? That is a one-way street. There's no taking that one back. 
His conviction was to preach the gospel, and he was willing to make even massive sacrifices so that other people might hear about Jesus. Are we willing to do that? What are we actually willing to sacrifice so that other people might hear? Are we willing to suffer through some awkward conversations? Are we actually willing to rearrange our schedules so that we have time to actually get to know some coworkers? Willing to, to, to go to the gym with a neighbor because they need a running partner? Join a book club, mom's group, strata meeting, soccer team, simply so we'd have the opportunity to share a little bit more about the gospel of Jesus Christ. What are we willing to give up? What rights am I willing to lay down so that someone else might hear the good news of Jesus? Or maybe we can ask the question the other way around. What aren't we willing to give up? Does someone have to be, hold the same political view as you before you could share Jesus? Do they have to live up to a certain moral standard before they're allowed to hear about forgiveness? Let us never add anything to the gospel. Let us repent of ever doing such a thing like that. Turn away and do our very best to lay down our own rights so that someone can hear the good news of the gospel. Because when we do that, actually it makes a difference. Look back at our text, verse 4. As they went out their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. The church was strengthened. The church grew. More and more people heard about the gospel of Jesus Christ and believed that is our goal. Our goal is sacrifice our own good so that other people can actually hear, hear the good news of Jesus more and more, that our brothers might be strengthened. Let us look not to our own interests, but to the interests of others. Ultimately, that is exactly what Jesus has done for us. Jesus has laid aside his own advantage that we might be saved. Let us imitate him in that example. Ultimately, following along with what the Holy Spirit is calling us to do. This brings us to our final point, the final section in our passage this morning, and perhaps it is one of the most surprising We've seen their convictions to preach the gospel everywhere they go. But what is matched with that is a conviction to follow the Holy Spirit no matter where he leads them. Right? They're convinced they should not go anywhere. The Spirit is not telling them to go. Look back, verse 6. It says, And they went through the region of Phygria and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. They had come up to Mysia and attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. So Paul and company are are, are traveling along. They're they're starting out on this missionary journey, and they have all these grand plans. We're going to go into these cities. We're going to preach the gospel. We're going to spend time there. Then we're going to move on and continue and continue and continue. And they get to the first stop, and the Holy Spirit says, no, keep moving. This is the first time in the book of Acts that we have ever seen the Holy Spirit stop someone from sharing the gospel. Holy Spirit says, no, I don't want you to go there. Keep moving. Now, we're not told exactly how this happens. We're not told, is this some vision? Is this some dream? Is this some impression they get? Is this a physical you know, roadblock? They, they're not letting in, them into the city. They're not allowed to speak, whatever it is. We're not told. 
But they keep going and they keep going and they get to the next city and the Holy Spirit says, no, keep going. And so now they're entering into a whole new region and the Spirit says, keep going. You're not allowed to preach here. And you can imagine how confusing this would have been for Paul. He's saying, I have all these plans. I was going to preach in all these cities and now I can't seem to do that. Right? It's this wonderful example of sort of the, the Proverbs 16. The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Paul continues to go throughout all these cities and he makes his way across the entire country. He travels the entire length, basically, of Turkey and he's still going and he makes it all the way to the shore and he's going, what am I supposed to do? Verse 9 we read, A vision appeared to Paul in the night. man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision immediately, we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. God had driven them across the entire country so that they could get to the other side where God would call them to an entirely new continent. Paul would leave Asia behind and land into Europe. Macedonia is Greece, modern-day Greece. Paul would be called over, and he would preach the gospel in Europe for the very first time where the church would take root for a couple thousand years. See, the sacrifices that Paul and Timothy would make to share the gospel would bear fruit, and their conviction to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, even when it didn't seem to make sense to them, would result in amazing work. God had closed all those doors so that he might open a new one for them. In fact, I think that's what we need to see here, we, uh, even for our own lives. We need to trust that when God says no, when God closes off doors, opportunities for us in our life, it is not simply for no reason, but rather God is showing us somewhere else that he will call us to. See, sometimes I think we almost imagine God sitting up in heaven, rubbing his hands together, going, oh no, I really hope they figure out my plan for them. Right? Paul had a plan. He was going to go preach the gospel in Turkey, in Asia. And God just goes, no, I'm just going to close every single door except the one I want you to go through. Right? God is actually in control. And so our, our calling then is, first of all, to trust that when he answers no, it's because he's calling us somewhere else. Secondly, follow the Holy Spirit in your life. Spend your time reading your Bible in prayer, sharing your faith, and follow where God leads you. Learn to rely on him more and more. Don't try and do it by yourself and say, you know what, I I can figure this out. I don't need the Holy Spirit's help in this. Actually, we do. Do you have a conviction to follow the Holy Spirit no matter what? A determination that unless the Holy Spirit is with you, you can do nothing. That makes an impact on even how we start our day, doesn't it? If you're convinced that actually every day I need the Holy Spirit to lead me and guide me, it means we need to start our day with that conviction. God, lead me and guide me today. Where do you want me to share your name? Where do you want me to share more of the gospel? Lord, give me that opportunity. Give me those words that I might speak and proclaim your name. Even when the answer is no, The question is, well, then, God, where? Where do I go next? Are we so convinced that we need the Holy Spirit that every single day of our lives might start, Spirit, lead me? 
I began by saying that kids test your conviction. So does mission. Missions tests our conviction of what we really believe. Do you really believe the gospel? Does it resonate in your house? Do you pass it on to your family? Teach your children the scriptures. Show them the love of God in your home. Do you believe the gospel so much that you would lay aside your own rights, that you would sacrifice your own comforts and conveniences so that other people might hear the gospel? That your friends and neighbors might know the forgiveness of Jesus? Do you believe the gospel so much that you'll follow the Holy Spirit no matter where he leads you? See, mission tests our conviction, tests what we really believe. Do you believe it? And here's where I I think all of us are going to fall short at some point. All of us fall short on that test. And and actually, we we don't measure up to, to the perfect standard that God sets before us. But it's a time then not to abandon or or collapse in on self-doubt. It's a time to remember what the gospel actually is. The gospel is grace for people who didn't measure up. The gospel is, is forgiveness for when we have sinned. It's not for perfect people. It's for people who haven't lived up to what God has called us to do. So we go back to God. We go back to Jesus. Lay our sins before the cross and say, Lord, would you fill me once again? Grant me your Holy Spirit, your strength, that I might follow you again today. As we encounter these tests, as our faith gets proven back and forth, It should strengthen us actually to know and love and delight in the gospel again and again as we see God's grace for us. So let our conviction be to the gospel that we would take it into our homes, that we would lay down our rights to share it with others as we follow the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful. Father, we are so grateful that it is not up to us. That it's not up to how much we can muster in our own lives. But ultimately, Father, it is a work of your Holy Spirit in our lives and through us that you might be glorified. Father, I pray, would you continually transform us more and more into the image of your Son, that our conviction would be centered and fixed on the gospel, that it would radiate throughout all aspects of our lives, that we would learn to rely more and more on you. Father, I pray, would you do that work in our hearts, that you might be glorified, that more and more people would come to hear and know and love the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray, continue this work in our lives. Transform us more and more that we would delight in who you are and what you have done. We ask these things in your name. Amen.